to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. We've worshipped him. Now let's let his word speak to us. Luke chapter 13. And I want to read verses 6 through 9. And I want to be very candid with you, very upfront. I've tried to do that my whole ministry. I come here today very evangelistic. I'm preaching a message that is a message for people who are in sin, who need Jesus, who need to be saved. Maybe for people who are backslidden. So I'm being very upfront about that. So if you're here today and you're not saved or you're backslidden, you used to serve the Lord and then you turned your back on God and went back into sin, God, in wonderful favor and grace, set you up and brought you here today so that you could hear the word of God and have another chance. As a matter of fact, that's what I want to preach on today. One more chance. One more chance. And let's look in Luke chapter 13. Jesus also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it, and if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. You can be seated. Thank you for reverencing the word today. When I bought my house that I'm living in, when I bought that house three years ago, I was surprised to find that I had a peach tree in the backyard. I don't know anything about peach trees except they produce peaches. I don't know how to tend to one. I don't know how to deal with one. So the first year, I don't really remember a whole lot happening with that peach tree. But the last two years, it has tried to produce peaches. And so it's been exciting for me to go out there and look for peaches in the summer. And I have found peaches. The problem is they never fully develop and ripen. Or the bugs get on them and destroy them. I have yet in three years, and I've gone, I went out there this week, I have yet to find a full ripened peach on that tree. It will not produce correctly. And so unless something traumatic happens, my intentions this fall or winter is to cut it down. The reason I tell you that story is because that's very similar to the parable that I just read to you. I'll recap. There was a man who owned a vineyard. Obviously, it's where you grow grapes. But it was very common in Jesus' day to plant fruit trees within vineyards. And so this man planted a fig tree expecting to get figs. But for three years he came looking for them and found none. And so he says to the gardener, look, three years I can't find any figs. It's taken up soil. We, could, we need to get rid of it. Cut it down. We'll plant another tree there that will produce fruit. And the gardener intervenes for the tree. And says, if you would, sir, leave it alone. Give me one more year. Let me work on it, fertilize it. And if it produces figs, great. If it doesn't, then we'll cut it down. Now, in our text, Jesus talks about a tree that fails to produce fruit. And he talks about a fig tree. 
Now, the reason that's so important is because if I'm going to be a good preacher, I need to give you the primary meaning or application to this parable. Because every, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Heavenly meaning. And so Jesus is trying to make one main point. And so I'm going to be a fair, good preacher and tell you that the primary application of this parable is to the Jews, to Israel. Because in the Bible, Israel is often compared to a fig tree. So what Jesus is saying here is, Israel, I've called you out as my own. I've called the Jews to be my people. I've called you to serve me and love me and obey me, and I'm looking for the fruit of repentance and the fruit or the evidence of a life of, of a people who are the people of God. But he said, instead, you're in sin. And that's exactly how it was. When Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago, the nation of Israel was, was not a, a spiritual people. The, the, the spiritual leaders were either political or legalistic. The average person on the street really didn't have a relationship with God. They would go to the temple they would offer the sacrifices, but they had no living relationship with God. And sin ruled and reigned in their lives. And so the point of this parable is that God sent his son Jesus to reach out to the nation of Israel. Jesus said, I'm called to the lost sheep of Israel. So he said, I'm going to reach out to you and try to save you first. And the reality is Israel rejected Jesus as their Messiah. And in spite of all of his efforts, they refused to believe in him. And, and you see this. In verses 34 and 35, where Jesus literally weeps over the city of Jerusalem and says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you are not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And assuredly, I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so Israel rejected Jesus and crucified him and working with Rome, put him on a cross and killed the Son of God and said, his blood be on us and our children. And judgment came. Instead of repenting and bearing fruit, God's judgment came. And in 70 A.D., just a few years later, Titus and the Roman army came in and destroyed the entire city of Jerusalem, tore the temple down to the ground, and the, and the Jews were dispersed all over the world. It was terrible. And that's the primary meaning of the parable. Jesus is trying to warn them of this event, and unfortunately it didn't work. But I know as a preacher of the gospel and a student of the word that sometimes parables have a secondary meaning. And I feel very, very confident today that there is a secondary application that I can preach to us who are not Jews, us who are Gentiles, us living in the 21st century. So let me tell you what I see. I see in this story a very sober warning to anyone who has rejected Jesus and his salvation. I see in this story a very sober warning to the one who is playing games with God. I see in this story a sober warning to the man who is ignoring continually the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to the woman who knows that she needs to repent but willfully remains in her sins. I see in this story a sober warning to the backslider who wants to come home but will not break ties with the world and the things of this world. See, I know two things. Number one, I know that untold numbers of people, unchurched people, are lost in their sins and away from God. Right now, right here in Anderson and around this country, 
There are people sitting at home, not saved, unchurched, drinking a cup of coffee, reading the paper, watching television. Maybe they've already headed to the lake or some other outdoor event. Maybe they're playing 18 holes of golf, lost in their sins. But, and they're your coworkers, and they're your friends, and they're your family members. But I also know that there are countless numbers of people in the church who consider themselves religious, but in reality are bound in their sin and are separated from God. Let me tell you this morning, you can have the outward appearance of life, but be spiritually dead. You can have a career, a position, money, possessions, power, influence, a family, all of it is meaningless if you don't have Jesus. It doesn't matter. The Bible says, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The owner of the vineyard saw the barren fig tree as a liability. It wasn't producing fruit. It was wasting good soil. And I looked up one particular phrase in that Scripture and it says it's using up the ground. And I looked that up and in the original language, it literally means it's wasting the soil. It's a waste of very good soil. And when I read that and I'm thinking about people who are rejecting Jesus, I thought this thought a life lived in sin is a wasted life. You were made to do more than get married and have kids, and pursue a career, and get an education, and accumulate things. Listen to me. You were created to have a relationship with God. You have a higher purpose and meaning, and it's to do more than just live this life and die and then be done, but it is to, to accept Jesus as your Savior and to be restored and reconciled with God and have relationship with I'm talking about real relationship. I'm talking about being close and intimate with God now, and not even just now, but forever. That's what we preach. That's the reality when you come to Christ. I know that God sent Jesus to die on a cross, a very ignoble, inhumane death. He, he died on that cross in your place. He died for you so that you could repent and turn from your sins and be forgiven and be joined together with God once again. And yet, in spite of the vast number of preachers and churches and Christian TV and radio and podcasts and literatures and the widespread literature and the widespread proclamation of the gospel. And despite the, the shining example of born-again believers living it as a witness every day, people still reject Jesus and persist in their sins. Now you know God could just wipe them all out right now. Justly. He could do that. I mean, He's God, He can do whatever He wants. But listen, he doesn't do it. Instead, he gives them chances to be saved. Over and over and over. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalm 145, verse 8. For the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. That's the heartbeat of God. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this. The Lord is not slack 
concerning his promise. And let me just tell you what the promise is. And the promise is that to eventually execute the judgment against those people who remain in their sins and refuse salvation. And let me just stop right here. I preached this earlier. I'm going to preach it again. I just wanted to be clear because people say, how will a loving God send anybody to hell? Well, God is not only love, he is holy. And, and, and God is the righteous judge, and he, he has to uphold the law. That's what makes him holy. It's also what makes him loving. And when you commit a heinous crime and stand before a judge, you don't say, well, how can a loving judge send me to jail? You broke the law. The judge doesn't send you to jail. The judge doesn't send you to capital punishment. You sent yourself there. Criminal doesn't get off and shift the blame to the judge and say, the only reason I'm here is the judge's fault. It's your fault. God doesn't want any sending anybody to hell. God doesn't want to do that. And God really doesn't send anybody to hell. You send yourself there. So God is not slack concerning that promise, as some men count slackness. But look at this. But he's long-suffering toward us. And if that word is bothering you, let me just help you with it. It means he puts up with you. That's right. He puts up with you. He patiently endures with your sin and your rebellion and your rejection. And he, he pursues you and he convicts you and he tries to draw you. And you shrug your shoulders and say, leave me alone. And yet God just keeps coming back time after time. He's long-suffering toward us. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. God doesn't want you to die and go to hell, but have everlasting life. He said he's not willing that any should perish, but that everybody should come to repentance. Turn from your sin. And just as the gardener kept putting up with that fruitless tree for three years, God's been putting up with you. Time after time, he, he has refrained from executing his righteous judgment on you. He has convicted you again and again and again, attempting to draw you to place where you will yield and submit and repent and be saved, and yet you have resisted him over and over and over. This makes me think of a scripture, Romans chapter 10, verse 21, and it's a quotation of Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament. It's actually God speaking to the sinner all day long. This is it. It's God speaking. All day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary or obstinate people. See, people think that God sits on the throne and, is, and the way he deals with a sinner is with a closed fish, fish, fist and a scowl on his face. You know, he just wants to drop the hammer on him. But that's not the image that's here. This is the image of God. Come. That's the image of God. He created us in his image, and sin destroyed that image and separates us from him. But God is standing there with open arms. Jesus Christ, the living hope. Like the owner of a vineyard, of the vineyard, you need to know that there comes a time when God's patience is exhausted and his mercy reaches its limit. At some point, God expects you to stop, and make, stop making excuses. At some point, God expects you to stop playing with hellfire. At some point, God expects you to stop ignoring his clarion call to be saved. At some point, you have to stop putting off till tomorrow what God is calling you to do 
today. And yet you may be hearing me, whether that's in this building or online, and you may be saying, but Pastor Chris, look, I don't want to get saved right now. I want to sow my wild oats. I want to live my life. I want to go out there and see what the world has to offer. I want to do some things. I want to, I want to be involved in this world and be part of the crowd. I don't want, here's what I'll do, Pastor Chris. I'm going to do my thing. And then when I get older, I'll get right with God. The closer I get to that end where I know eternity is coming, that's when I'll, I'll get saved. In other words, I'll live my whole life against God. But then right at the end, I'll patch things up. And I'll make sure I'm going to heaven. But listen to me. Listen, you have no guarantee that you will see tomorrow. There's a story of a man in the Bible that said, Woo, look at me. I have, I have made so much money, done so well in life, accumulated so many things, I've run out of room. I'm going to start a building program tomorrow and build me another storage building for all my cars and boats and Everything else I have, I just got all my money. I got they didn't have banks back then, so I got to build a vault back here for all my money. Woo! I have arrived. I think what I'm going to do is kick back and not work anymore. I've got all I need. I'm going to eat, drink, and I'm going to have a party. And then Jesus said that night, God showed up and said, "You're dead." Boom. Now who gets all your stuff? Because tonight your soul is going to be required of you. You can accumulate everything in this world. But one of these days, you're going to stand before God. And you cannot afford to put off tomorrow what needs to be done today because your soul could be required of you tonight. And so if God is dealing with you today, you must heed his call. You cannot wait until tomorrow. The Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Let me show you something in this story. Last Sunday... I preach to you how Jesus Christ is the high priest that intercedes for those who are saved and born again. If you were here last Sunday or you heard it online, you know this, you remember the sermon, the message, and, and how when, we're, when we sin and we fail, we come to God for forgiveness. Jesus is interceding for us. When we get in trouble, we come to God, to the, the, the throne room, to find grace and help in a time of need and mercy, and Jesus is there interceding for us, pulling for us. I've had people all week say, Pastor, that message helped me so much. Man, that just helped me to know that this thing I'm going through, Jesus is there and I'm not alone and he's pulling for me. That's a wonderful thought. But let me give you another thought that I saw in this parable. Did you notice the gardener intervened for the tree? And most scholars agree that the gardener represents Jesus in the parable. And so you have Jesus interceding for Israel. If you take the primary application, but if you carry it further, brothers and sisters, and I don't think it does anything wrong, violates anything in the scriptures, what I know of the heartbeat of God is that you have an image of Jesus interceding for the sinner. And I can see that happening. I can see God, the Father, talking to the Son about a sinner, and I can see Jesus saying, Father, I know he has rejected my salvation time and time again, and I know she deserves punishment for her sins, and I know he is headed for a devil's hell, but I plead with you, let me work on him. Let's convict her one more time. 
Let's reach out arms of love to her one more time. Let's give him one more chance. I hope you know today, God, just by you being here, hearing this message, is giving you one more chance to be saved or to be restored. I want the musicians to come. I don't have a a long message today. Jesus never tells us the fate of the fig tree. I don't know if the gardener worked on it and fertilized it, and the next year it put out figs like crazy, or he did all that work and it just did the same thing like it did before, nothing, and got cut down, chopped down, and was used for fire. I don't know the fate of the fig tree. I know the fate of Israel because I already told you that. They rejected Christ and it cost them. It was terrible. But what about you? The narrative is not over for you. The story of your life has not reached the point where we type the end. What about you? Where are you with God? Because if you're not right with God, you need to know he's giving you one more chance today. Jesus is interceding for you. Father, convict her. Deal with him. Lord, let's try one more time. Let me give you a sobering thought. God's giving you one more chance. But eventually, one more chance will become your last chance. My wife asked me, she said, honey, you're not going to scare him to death, are you? I said, sure am. I said, sure am. It's not my normal approach. But I said, it might. And I said, I don't have a problem with it whatsoever because I can take you to a scripture in the Bible that says, saving some with fear. I want you nervous. I want you fidgeting. I want you squirming. I want you to say, hurry up and get this sermon over. Hurry up. I know right now if you're watching online, you may be tempted to just walk out of the room or turn the TV off. Don't do it. Because right now, you're at the fork in the road. God's reaching out to you. You have no guarantee that you'll even see tomorrow. You may wake up, and yeah, this is sensational. I don't, I'm not normally sensitive. But listen, yeah, you may wake up in the devil's hell. What a horrible thing. When if you are right with God, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And if you, for those of us who are saved, we don't have to worry about when we die. Because we just transition from this life to the next. I'm walking with him now. I just go up there and walk with him. And then I'm going to come back down with him and walk some more for a thousand years. After you stand, after you die and you stand before the judgment seat of God, there are no more chances. There's an old hymn that says, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home. Come home. You who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, O sinner, come home. So whether you're in sin or whether you're backslidden, I'm telling you today, God is reaching out to you. 
and he's crying out to you. And this is your opportunity. If he's convicting you and dealing with you, this is your opportunity to make things right with God. Let God make things right with you. Years ago, there's a group called the Winans who sang a song. And I thought about this song. It's called Tomorrow. And I'm going to set it up for you. Leah's going to come to sing it. And it basically the premise is so many people need Jesus, but they keep saying, I'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow. When God says, today is the day I want you to get saved. But we just keep putting it off to tomorrow. Leah's going to come sing this song. And I'm believing with all my heart that there's going to be such an anointing on this song. God's going to speak to some people. I'm going to come back and I'm going to give an opportunity for people to be saved and backsliders to be restored on this Sunday morning. And for those of you who are watching online, this is an opportunity for you to pray right where you are. I don't know where you're at. You may be at the beach. You may be at your home. But God can save you right where you are. So I just want you to hear this powerful song tomorrow.
you to stand with me this morning. I want to ask you to bow your heads. With every head bowed and every eye closed so that we create a moment of privacy so that it's just you and me and God. In a moment of brutal honesty and candor. That's what I'm asking for right now. A moment of brutal honesty and candor. Would you this morning, if the shoe fits, when I ask you, will you raise your hand and say, Pastor Chris, I am in my sins, or I am backslidden in my sins, and this message was for me, and I need to be saved or restored. I want you to throw your hand up and hold it up for just a moment. Go. Would you hold your hand up? There are hands all over this congregation. Just would you hold your hand up for just a moment more? Just a moment more. You can put your hand down. I, I, have, I am torn about what to do right now because you don't have to come to an altar to get saved. But I feel like there's some people that like to come to an altar. So I'm going to give an altar call right now. If you're back there and you just raise your hand, one, two, three, go. That Get out. Just get out of your seat. Just come down. Come on. That's it. There are people coming, so other people come. Just come on. Don't, don't let anybody stop you. If you raised your hand, come on. I already know who you are. God already knows who you are. I want you to come down this altar, and I just want you to stand. Would you just spread out across this front? Just spread out across this front. Just spread out. And I want you, that's it. I appreciate you coming. I think it's, on, it's great that these people are coming this morning. And I want you to stand or kneel, whatever you, want you, whatever you want to do. And I want you to just start praying right now. Just say, God, I'm a sinner. I can tell you what to say, but you're down here already. Just say, God, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please take my sin away. Come on, y'all know what? You're down here. You're down here. This is why you're down here. You're crying for help. Well, call for help. Call on help right now. Save me, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus. Wash me and cleanse me. Watch what he does. He'll cleanse you right now. He'll save you. He'll change your life right here, right now. That's why you're here today, and that's why God gave me that message, just for this reason. Come on, is there anybody else needs to come? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, anybody else? Anybody else, you need to come. Come on, right now. I know, I know there's at least one more back there. You raise your hand. Come on, sir. Just get on down here. Don't, don't stay back. I know where you are. Come on. Just come on. God knows. Just come. Don't hold back. That's it. I appreciate you being honest. You know, you know who you are, and I did too. Get down here and get things right with God today. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. Hallelujah. Come on. Just get on that altar and kneel and start talking to Jesus. Get down there and start talking to Jesus. Come on. I want you to stretch your hands toward these right now, church. We're not spectators. We're participators. I want you to start praying for these folks. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.